This is the Doctor Who Podcast. You are most welcome. In this episode of the Doctor Who Podcast, we'll be previewing the season finale for season seven, The Angels Take Manhattan. Yes, hello and welcome to episode 165 of the Doctor Who podcast. Joining me in the camper van this week, Tom, hello, how are you? I'm not bad. It's been an interesting start to the podcast already, but yes, it's been good. It's good. I'm well, I'm well. How are you? <laughs> I'm not bad, but you have to remember, due to the magic of editing, the listeners won't know it's been an interesting start to the podcast. Yes, of course not. <laughs> Fair enough. Unless they listen right to the very, very end. Oh dear. <clears throat> Leeson, hello. Hello, how are you? We're back here, listeners, just to give you a little bit of a taster of what we think is going to be coming up at the weekend. Now, just to make doubt a thing of the past, completely remove all trace of it, None of us have seen The Angels Take Manhattan, so we're not able to spoil anything, even if we wanted to. But we're going to be postulating, we're going to be theorising, we're going to be talking about where we think the story is at this moment in time. And it's a very exciting point, if you ask me. We've got just a few days before we can sit down in front of BBC One and find out whether or not all of these crazy fan theories are correct or whether they just have absolutely no basis in reality whatsoever. But but before we do that, Tom, I haven't been able to sit there and talk to you in detail about The Power of Three, so Ian and I had a good old chance to do that last week, or just a few days ago actually. What did you think of the episodes that went out, as we recalled, just last night? Um, well, I've got to say, for, I, I'm dying to hear what Trev thinks of it, because there were at least three moments where I could hear eight million middle-aged Doctor Who fans shouting and screaming and punching the air with joy. Um, you know, the, 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 the references to the Zygons were just, well, that's great, that's lovely, Who's, what's not to like about that? Um, the, uh, the introduction of Kate Lethbridge Stewart. I mean, that's just that's just really kind of great as well. Um, but what I found, what I thought, was that that was the episode that properly reconciled the RTD era to the Moffat era and the uh, era, sorry, and the new series to the old series. So it it pulled everything in, absolutely everything, into one place and said um, and just re- reminded us that this is the story that we were telling. I loved the performance from Matt Smith because there was there were a full ten other Doctors there. I mean, all ten of them. Um, one of the, one of the joys of rewatching this is going to be going back and picking out which are the, are the moments where he's channeling which particular Doctor. Um, uh, you know, as, as an example, I mean, there, there, there's some wonderful old man acting coming out of him. Um, that whole leaning forward and giving it the slight twitch of the arm and, um, and, and pretending to be an old man trapped in a young man's body, which is quite gorgeous. Um, all the way down to number t- uh, to, to number ten and the restart of the heart and then giving himself that to infinity and beyond thing that you'd expect from ten. But the others were all right there, so it, it was it was really really great for me. So I, I thought it was a wonderful episode from that point of view. Um, also, um, you've discussed your theory about what you think's happened to. Damien Rory, haven't you? Mm, yes, yes, I can expound on that in a little bit too. <laughs> well, quite. Well, I've got to say, I think you're absolutely right. Um, one, one, the, the two dead giveaways are that uh, one, Amy says it's been 10 years that they've been travelling, and two, the Doctor's 
very odd behaviour because he knows it's been another 300 years and I think it sets up the character flaw of the 12th Doctor of living in the past and that's you know, living in the past is bad enough if you're a human being but if you're a Time Lord it's absolutely fatal um, mm. I'm not sure whether or not he's 1200 at the point at which he has the conversations during last night's episode but uh, that's something which I'll, um, I'll I'll talk about in a little while perhaps. <laughs> it's, it's great um, <clears throat> the other thing I've, uh, which might be interesting which is pointed out by my friend Lee hey Ratbag um, is that up until now, whenever the angels have made an appearance in the show, there have been flickering lights. And going back through yesterday, and certainly through a couple of the episodes that have screened, that earlier, that have screened in this season, there are instances of flickering lights, and I wonder if that's going to be the thing um, that makes that uh, ties, helps us tie it all together. Well, that's certainly the most credible light bulb theory I've heard so far. I've, I've seen it dropped online reviews, and other podcasters have mentioned the fact that there's light bulbs involved in pretty much every episode um, and I guess it's endemic of any Angels episode really you're going to get some kind of strobe lighting because that's the way that you build up the tension given the way those creatures work mm-hmm. I mean I, the other thing I was thinking is, is if is, is if your theory is correct and we've got that thing with the with the old Amy and Rory waving at themselves uh, at the uh, with the, with the, at the, in the, at the beginning of The Hungry Earth then I wonder if what's happening is that they haven't is that they haven't been sent back and they've just managed to stop the process for a second to you know along their own timeline and have a quick wave. And that- Ooh, as, as exciting as all of this guesswork is, let, let's just save it for a little bit because I've got two burning questions uh, to ask Lisa, which I think, in all fairness, are probably quite boring compared to what you've just been summarising, <laughs> Tom. But anyway, okay, Lisa, um, you work in a hospital. I do. You know about medical things and hearts and stuff, don't you? Indeed. How long can you be dead before the onset of brain damage? Uh, two minutes before uh, before your uh, your chances of, of coming back and the oxygen levels to your brain uh, are too depleted to uh, to guarantee that uh, that the brain will come back fully functioning. Okay, so a third of the world's population falling over and in due to a cardiac arrest. 15 minutes later, it's actually, actually, it's 14 minutes and about 40 seconds, because yes, I timed it. <laughs> Everybody just got up and carried on with their business. <laughs> now, it's, it's funny, because uh, as you say, I'm the one that knows about this. You, you, you perhaps don't know about this, uh, and it's, it's you that it occurred to, and it didn't, didn't occur to me as, uh, <laughs> as something that sort of uh, flawed the, the, the concept. No, but uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. They, they would all be uh, uh, irreversibly dead. Yes, yeah, so that could be interesting for the second part of season seven when we have a third of the world's population who have severe psychological or mental difficulties. Uh, so that's, that's one thing, but certainly, Tom, I agree that that element ties it back to Russell T. Davis's era because I haven't seen anything that shoddy in a long time. Um, oh. <laughs> and, well, you, you say that the people would get up and they'd be brain damaged and they wouldn't be able to function. They could. They could always just join the modern Tory party. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, it's the closest I'm ever going to get to an admission from Tom to say, yeah, fair point. Yeah. <laughs> and the other question, do people within hospitals generally leave large bits of medical equipment in the corridor uh, just in case people have cardiac arrests opposite them? Uh, yeah. Well, um, defibrillators are distributed and now around the country you'll find them in lots of shops and uh, you know, shopping centres. <laughs> so, but but those, that, those sort of style ones with the pads are, are a little outdated now. Um, they tend to be sort of more compact. Um, so, but for dramatic effect, the, the pads are far better for that sort of thing. Oh, aren't certainly. They? But I mean, Ian raised a point when I spoke to him a few days ago. Do they actually restart a heart? Uh, no, because the heart hasn't stopped. It's it's just uh, in a, it's in a state of flux. It's the electrical signals aren't working properly. So so all you're, you're doing is um, 
uh, is you're trying to recorrelate the uh, the electrical impulses of the heart because they're they're firing too quickly. So you don't you don't restart them. They haven't stopped. You just try and get them back into that regular rhythm. Uh, we do have a piece of feedback on the power of three from uh, Gavin Haynes in Sydney. Would we like to listen to it? Let's do it. Why not? I'm missing the dulcet tones of an Australian. Yes. Hi, this is Gavin from Sydney. I just wanted to leave my feedback on the power of three. To me. The point of the story wasn't so much about the cubes, but seeing how the Doctor affects the lives of Amy and Rory, which is probably why the ending seemed a bit rushed. As far as I can remember, Amy and Rory are the first companions where the Doctor visits them at regular, or should I say irregular, intervals. With most companions in the past, once they have parted company with the Doctor, they're never seen or heard from him again. Sure, Rose, Martha and even Sarah Jane have had adventures with him after they've stopped travelling with him, but only once or twice. Only Amy and Rory have continued to see the Doctor after they supposedly left him, so it was nice to see how he affects her lives and see what would happen if the Doctor decided to stay for more than five minutes. I also thought the story was more about the Ponds trying to decide whether to continue having these adventures with him or tell him enough is enough. I thought at the end, the Doctor had decided to leave Amy and Rory for good and let them get on with their lives, and that the Ponds had decided to stay, but Brian reminded them how much they'd miss him as much as he'd miss them that they ended up being more resolved to continue on with the Doctor was a nice touch. I really thought they were going to say, one more trip just for old time's sake, say goodbye to the Doctor forever. One thing though, since Amy's voiceover was told in past tense, does that mean that she at least cannot die in Angels Take Manhattan? Overall, I thought it was a great episode. I love the introduction of Kate Stewart and really hope we get to see her again. I enjoyed the humour in this episode. I liked seeing the little scenes of Amy and Rory trying to decide what to do. I really like the Doctor and Amy's little chat outside the unit base where he tells her that he's not running from anything but running to them. I'm now really looking forward to seeing the Pines Fairway episode. Thank you and keep up the good work. Bye. I agree with a lot of what uh, Gavin says there and uh, and I do agree that the, the, the whole Cube storyline uh, was, was just a way of sort of uh, piggybacking the, uh, the, the as I called it last time the, the domestic adventure of uh, uh, of Rory and Amy and what it, and how it feels to have the Doctor dropping in and out uh, of their lives possibly out of sequence but yeah uh, and as for the that was why the, the ending felt rushed I think if you're gonna if you're going to piggyback uh, something on, onto a story if you're going to use a premise to piggyback something else onto it still has to be a satisfying. Uh, story and it still has to have a satisfying ending and I, I still stand by my my assertion that uh, it did feel a little like the ending of that story was tied up a little too quickly and part part of that is wrapped up in the, the criminal underuse of Stephen Burkoff. I would love to have seen him on screen for the full 45 minutes it was just such a wonderful portrayal. Um, I loved your analogy last week you know using he's basically getting an iPhone and using it as a doorstop mm-hmm. and I, I think you're, you're absolutely right I mean what's what's the point in introducing these really really high profile actors one making them completely unrecognizable and two giving them some kind of awful info dump to give in the last five minutes that you know unless you watch three or four times you don't quite understand it anyway and that 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 the whole explanation or the overarching reason as to why the cubes have been you know deposited on earth just felt utterly shoehorned in but it was it was a beautifully nuanced performance from from Stephen I mean, absolutely incredible it was it was almost it was the closest we'll ever get to, to having Alec Guinness uh, uh, coming in and, and playing a, a Doctor Who villain it was it was just wonderful it was all in the fingers and the and the gestures and the delivery of the lines was just sublime mm, agreed really, I, I gotta say I'd love to say uh, you know I thought his performance was fantastic but it just kind of washed over me it really did 
Oh. And uh, you know, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. You know, I, I think the performance was probably quite good. I, I noticed the the little giggles that were very Alec Guinness actually, mm. <laughs> and Ben Kenobi. Um, you know, just after the Doctor had made some you know um, poignant remark, but I, I, it just failed to really impact me. And this this was definitely the weakest of the episodes um, that we've seen for me so far. I would say I, I enjoyed it more than Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, I think, and uh, because I like, I've, I've grown to love those domestic adventures, and uh, and when I think of Alec Guinness, uh, I'm thinking of, uh, of the character he played in um, The Lady Killers. He plays he plays this wonderful grotesque character in that, and uh, and it was and that was all in the fingers and and the delivery of the lines and. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. And, I, and as I said before, I'd rather have Stephen Burke off for, for five minutes than uh, than somebody else who, who didn't give such an amazing portrayal for, for 20 minutes. My last observation, and I only thought about this last night, I've seen this episode three times now, there are quite a lot of parallels with the trouble with Tribbles, aren't there? Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> In what way? Well, Star Trek, you know, there's, all of a sudden you have this seemingly very cute alien threat that is mildly comic, and I, you know, Kirk's reaction to them was was very funny because they just got everywhere on the control console and everything. Almost assumed that they were innocuous; they weren't harmful in any way. It was just a, just an annoying kind of contagion. And yet, there was actually something slightly more sinister behind it. And the only difference, really, that you, you had cubes as opposed to furry little things. Mm, yeah, I, I can I can see that. I can go with that. Uh, I don't know whether I mentioned this on the podcast uh, before. I may have done it in the in the in the preview to the season that we did. But I was quite interested in the um, the what was the inspiration for this story, which was uh, in this country a few years ago. There was a, a container ship which, which ran aground off the coast, and uh, <laughs> there were all sorts of things washing uh, washing ashore. Yeah, there were there were clothes. There were all sorts of things, motorbikes in boxes, and people were coming down to the beach and taking them away. And this was apparently the seed for the idea that you know. If things appear of, of, of value or, or things shiny things appear, people will take them into their homes, uh, and I quite like I quite like that idea. And I, th- I think that aspect of it worked really well. I, I think it was believable yeah. when they say no, it wasn't. It wasn't bad. I mean, certainly, I think um, Kate Stewart said at one point it's a bit like iPads falling out mm. of the sky and people taking them home, and that's exactly the same as the concept you're describing. Mm-hmm. Really, yeah. Do you know a, a slightly different? A slightly different angle on this. Um, started started saying last week that Doctor Who is is being rebooted, um, and there are two very important things I think that got said by different characters yesterday. Um, the first one being that travelling with the Doctor is a bit like run is is beginning to feel like running away, um, and that really is it. That's it, that's wonderful because it takes us all the way back to the end of the War Games where it becomes manifest that the Doctor is indeed running away uh, from something and I think if it ties up in the way which we're suggesting it does that would be a, a lovely uh, a, a lovely kind of reboot to uh, to what the character actually does you know he is lonely he is scared he is running off and you know, what's he running from actually because the time was not left anymore I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure I, I think it's focusing on Amy running away I think the Doctor made it very clear in the episode last night that he wasn't running away he was running two things yeah he's running into his own path to try and find them before they're lost to him forever absolutely and that's that's pretty much what i think is happening and of course none of us none of us know for certain but that uh, that, that kind of gives us a springboard into the next conversation which is probably when we listen to it back after the angels take manhattan is transmitted is going to be completely hilarious but anyway let's uh, let's get ready and let's dive in
Okay, now, you, listeners to our last episode would have heard Ian and I talking about how I, I believe that um, the episodes are being transmitted out of order, at least for the ponds. I'm not too sure about the Doctor's lineage here, um, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm not going to go over ground that I've already um, covered, but I will say this is this is the order in which I think this season has taken place so far. I think we get half of pond life. I think we get... I think it starts in May, doesn't it? May, June and July. So parts one to three of Pond Life. We then get the Power of Three. I think they leave at the end of Power of Three and end up in Mercy. I think at the end of Mercy they go back and have the adventure in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. And I think after Dinosaurs on a Spaceship we've got the last two parts of Pond Life and then Asylum. Now, then I think we're going to have the Angels Take Manhattan. I'm not entirely certain what order the Angels Take Manhattan and Asylum are in. I mean, that's that's the only thing that isn't fully formed uh, in, in my mind. But that's certainly my understanding. And what, what, what the reason why I think this is happening, and again, is, is, is expanding a little bit on the theory that Ian postulated all the way back before we'd even seen Asylum, <laughs> I think. So if this turns out to be correct, then Ian's got to take some credit here. The Ponds somehow live out their life in the past, possibly in America. Um, they, they may even just die naturally of old age before we even meet young Amy in the 11th hour. That's something that gets said at the end of episode three, season one, The Unquiet Dead, it's, it, uh, where, where they're trapped in the basement and yes, the doctor says right. to Rose, yeah. um, you know, you can be born in the present and die in the past. Yeah, it's certainly articulated then, but, and, and of course that's in a post-Time Lord universe as well, so it's, it's certainly possible. Now I think, given the way the 11th Doctor has been developing, and you know, Tom, you said several times, is riddled with guilt, so the angels are able to do whatever they do to Amy and Rory, send them back in the past, whatever, and the Doctor is powerless to stop or makes a choice not to interfere or stop them. But because that brings his travels, as far as he's concerned, to a premature end, I mean, we we, we see in A Power of Three how sealed onto his heart Amy and Rory are. You know, he, he's not ready to say goodbye to them. He's not ready just to move on to the next companion. Um, he's, he wants to keep on going back into the gaps, which is the, the premise that Pond Life was there to create, I believe, was, was the notion that the Doctor can pop back any time out of order and the Ponds don't know where he's come from because it's not the first thing that you can say is, oh, whereabouts is this for you? And besides, that's been done already with Riversong. So I, I think it's quite likely the Doctor is just coming back and filling up the gaps, but he either knows that they've died of old age or that they, they're living out their, their, their years in 1930s, 40s New York or whatever, and for some reason, which I'm sure will be tied up in a very nifty piece of dialogue, he can't go back and pick them up. Right, do you know what? I think this is something, again, it's, this is addressing something very big with Doctor Who, in as much as, even at the end of Earthshock, you know, Tegan says to the Doctor, can't we just get your time, or can't we just yeah. go back and get him? And the answer is, no, I can't. So for so what he's doing, as you rightly say, there's like this whole pond life thing, this whole popping back out of sequence thing, this whole, where, this whole where's he gone, where's he coming from thing, is absolutely about that. It's all about... I can't go back. I, you know, there, there, are, there are some limits even a time lord can't cross, and that's one of them, which is why he's so sad. Well, I'm, I'm not so sure now. I'm not so sure now. And this is possibly why you're getting the Dark Doctor once again. Uh, we, you look at Waters of Mars, where the Doctor suddenly realises he can do whatever he likes. Time Lord Triumphant, or something. That's how he describes himself. 
And we're retreading, and Leeson pointed out a couple of weeks ago, we're revisiting the same kind of scenario, particularly with all of the moral ambiguity within a town called Mercy. The Doctor is in charge here. The Time Lords have gone. So he can do what he wants. Now, I think he would be viewing his visiting the ponds you know, timeline that's all technically happened in the past, as far as his concerns, to be bending the rules as opposed to breaking them. Because he's going into the gaps, you know, these are the only places he can go without 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 interfering or causing any bother. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Yes, I think it's probably mm. quite carefully um, thought out from the character's point of view. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting. It really, is, it really is interesting just postulating what's going on here because a lot of the time I think we probably pull stuff out of the show that isn't really there and examine it and say, oh, yes, aren't they so clever? I would imagine the writers think, oh, I didn't intend that to happen. But I think if you've got a a very clear storyline and if, if, if the backbone to the first part of season seven is the Doctor reconciling his future or reconciling himself that his future is without the ponds and this is how he deals with it, then I think we can probably fill in the gaps ourselves with lots of um, wild theories to say this is this is deliberate, this wasn't deliberate. One of the things that clearly was deliberate, I think, was the line which we played in the last episode, uh, which clearly positions a town called Mercy before dinosaurs on a spaceship james this is the mark of a man who commutes to work you definitely have a lot of time at either end of your day to, to postulate about these theories <laughs> and do you know i so rarely do i mean do you remember when we, we we had a much more straightforward debate so two years ago tom can you believe it was two years about this jacketed doctor thing uh, that was quite easy because tom said one thing and trevor and i said nah whereas now <laughs> you look at the kind of ball of string that we're trying to unpick or I'm trying to unpick. The the last time I ever made a call and I stuck by it in advance was for the Rebel Flesh and that was the genesis of the Sontarans. <laughs> Look where that got me. Well, for, for, for what it's <laughs> worth I, I thought the same thing about that as well. <laughs> but, but what I will say is there's still the big there's still something missing. Um, we still don't know why the TARDIS mm, is exploding. Very true. Mm-hmm. We still don't know. I, I think it could be something as straightforward as the Doctor's you know going back on his own timeline you know and he's, he's fracturing things and the fact that uh, we saw a future Amy and Rory in a Chris Chibnall episode in season five might mean that it was all planned you know the fact that the Doctor's decided to do this now is cracking things and he's perhaps perhaps affecting the relationship he has with a TARDIS possibly causing it to explode I mean you you can guess at anything but um right do you know what I reckon we've I reckon we've seen the the beginning of of why of why eleven becomes twelve. That contract was only five years long, right? <laughs> so we believe. Um, I I I think that's the rege- that's the trigger for the regeneration. There we go. It may well be. Absolutely. I mean, now would probably be a good time to talk about some of the things that, that we that we do know. And uh, I don't know whether you guys have had a chance to see the the Canadian trailer. As everyone knows on this podcast, I have quite a low spoiler threshold, uh, and, and I did I did consider some of the things that are in the Canadian trailer, as have a lot of other people, to be quite spoilery. So if you do have a low spoiler threshold, like my good self, uh, then you might want to just stop the podcast uh, for a second and jog forward a few minutes while we discuss. The the revelations that uh, that appear briefly in the Canadian trailer, 
Um, the first of, of which is the reason that I, I brought it up at this point is we see we see regeneration energy uh, <gasps> on the doctor's hand at one point. Just a brief just a brief glimpse, uh, but so, yeah, it's it's definitely regeneration energy, and I'm, I'm hoping that we're not going to go down the same route as the uh, you know the fake regeneration. But wow, ties in with 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 Tom's assertion that we may be seeing. The uh, the uh, the end or the reason that eleven turns into twelve here, and maybe this is a pivotal a pivotal point. And if things are out of sequence, then who's to say that Angels in Manhattan isn't so far out of sequence that it's happening way ahead, and we've got to see we, we will see adventures leading up to that in the fiftieth anniversary year. No, don't buy it. <laughs> really don't buy it, and I really hope not as well. First of all, if that was the case, they would never ever ever put it in a trailer no matter whether they're going to be showing it in a you know Canada or America or even Tahiti yeah it, it, it's not going to make the trailer because that would be ridiculous and there's no way that they could possibly defend doing that um yeah that would be like putting like the new companion in the first episode of the new series man yeah that's never happened yeah I, that's that's fine <laughs> I've got no problem with that at all that wasn't spoiled in any way we're talking about a trailer mm. here we're talking about a trailer, something that's supposed to make you think, yes, I want to go and watch this very soon. I, I think, personally, I think the perfect way to end the anniversary year, which is going to be considered 2013, is for the 11th Doctor to bow out. And I expect it to be at Christmas. But if we're seeing a, a 1,200-year-old uh, Doctor in these episodes, then what's to stop us going back and seeing uh, the adventures leading up, the missing years? Because we're not. We're not. The, the, the In Asylum... The Doctor says he's 1,200. Mm-hmm. Now, if my theory is correct, that's one of the later placed episodes for him. So he's not 1,200 in the previous episodes. And within The Impossible Astronaut, he talks about himself being 1,100 and something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, yeah, the age... There's definitely a story to be told there, but I, I don't think we've got a uh, 100 years of gap yet. And I think... Asylum of the Daleks will almost certainly lead directly into the Christmas special. Interesting. So Interesting. I think I, I think as far as General Louise Coleman's character is concerned, it's all done and dusted. She knows exactly where she's going next episode. Hence the the, the smile um, and, and, and the look, look to into camera. camera and remember me. And I I think she was something, or the character was something as straightforward as the Dalek security system. That's why she had such wonderful um, access uh, to, to the hardest you know, piece of technology in the universe, um, seemingly without breaking sweat. It was very, very easy for her to do it. And I, I, I think, I think it's, it's probably remarkably simple, <laughs> hidden in plain sight to coin a phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think by Christmas, we'll all be kicking ourselves. Yeah, good. We like that. I actually, I, I like, like, I like looking forward to being made, made into an eight year old again. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, I'm certainly hoping for a, a more satisfying Christmas episode. I suspect that Moffat uh, is uh, not so happy with his with his effort last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we saw mm-hmm. at the um, Asylum of the Daleks um, premiere when he was asked outright by I think it was one of the children that asked him, and they always ask the best questions. Uh, so which episode is the the favourite one you've written, and which is the is the least favourite one you've written? And and Moffat uh, answered it straight out. I think. His favourite was the uh, with the eleventh hour. His least favourite was was Beast Below. Um, so he's he's quite honest and he's able to look back at, uh, at his work and, and see where he's where he's not what he's not yeah. happy with. Uh, so I, I think he will have he will have been a bit disappointed as were most of fandom with 
his effort. So yeah, that's, last, that's, yeah. Sorry, effort. That's a bit um, yeah, demeaning. But um, yeah, w- with what he managed to, to to do for us last year, so I, I suspect that uh, that the moth will be trying to reset that balance and give us something very satisfying and and pivotal to to the season. Yeah, and it's slightly different, I think, as well. And that, that's interesting because he doesn't always... Well, in fact, he's never really tried to make the Christmas episode that pivotal. Uh, the one where it had to be at a necessity was the Christmas Invasion because that was the first David Tennant story. All of the others have been very, very throwaway. Even A Christmas Carol, which I love, is, you know, it, it's very disposable, Doctor Who. Um, I, I think, as I said before, that comes very close to being my favourite Matt Smith episode ever i think a town called mercy has overtaken that now <laughs> but um but for a christmas special to be intrinsically linked to four or five episodes that went out months before i think that's a massive risk and i don't think that's one that moffat will want to take i think the christmas special will be standalone for those people who aren't really into doctor who and i think it will have a couple of exchanges that will be exceptionally relevant to fans and will send us, as Tom says, into mm. some kind of fangasm. See, I think by the very nature of, of introducing the new companion in the Christmas special, you, you were already sort of tying it to, to the show, so or to, to the series as a whole. Yeah, but who knows? Who really knows? I mean, we, we've got to get perspective here, and this is one of the things that fandom has really lost, I think, over this whole thing. No one knew, no one outside of fandom knew or cared who the new companion was going to be. And the fact that they were going to be in the first episode makes absolutely no no difference at all and I'll use the example uh, of my wife who sat down to watch Asylum with me probably about a week after it had aired and she didn't know who Jenna Louise Coleman was she had absolutely no idea that there was going to be a new companion uh, she had no idea that you know she looked that way and when I said she's going to be um, you know featuring in the series later on she went oh really one thing that really did annoy me more than anything is that she guessed she was a Dalek by about 25 minutes in that's because we're too busy analysing every other aspect and You're every right. other line and, and look, looking right. for classic Daleks, you see. Yeah. And you know why she realised? Why? She had an egg whisk on her belt. <laughs> Ostensibly to make the soufflés. But... My other half, um, uh, she picked up on the egg thing straight away. Um, you know, absolutely straight away. I mean, and that's a good Moffatism, it's, it's the hiding in plain sight. It gives you the answer, uh, but so quickly that you don't spot it. But no, my, my missus spotted it straight away. Well, this is it. And this is the kind of meta thing, if you like, here, is that the fans who watch every single trailer, analyse every frame, talk about every minute, you know, like of regeneration energy within a trailer, you know, we miss the point a lot of the time. We really miss what is in plain sight. And the people who see that are those sitting in front of their televisions in a fairly casual way. Um, I also think it works both ways. I think the character of Brian, uh, Rory's dad, is meant to be a Doctor Who fan in a far less overt way than Wizkid was in Greatest Show. This is the guy who changes the light bulbs. This is the guy who sits and watches cubes for four days because no one tells him to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the guy who who basically does exactly what the doctor yes, exactly what the doctor tells him to without thinking. I think Brian is actually quite a clever parody of a Doctor Who fan. <laughs> Brian is a useful catalyst who allows it to be explained that whatever's going to happen to Amy and Rory is not like what happens to, the, to all of the others. Some leave, some get left behind, some leave me. Occasionally, just occasionally, one or two of them die. But what happens to those two is outside that. Well, maybe. I'm not so sure. It all depends on where this is in a doctor's timeline. Is he saying, no, not them, Brian, never them? Because he knows 
or because they're taken out of time or because he's trying to reassure him does he does he really yeah everybody dies even of old age and he's just said that they're not going to die well this well this is the thing how how, how can i put this at the point at which brian's asking him the doctor knows what happens to what happens to them because look at the way he's behaving Mm. it's Mm. i I think it's one of those things where once we've seen next week's episode it will become very clear what the doctor is doing Mm -hmm. yes no i I certainly agree with that and again i think it will be a case of how did we not spot that bit of a you know repeat if you like of the the river song amy relationship uh, at the um, at the end of the first half of uh, of season six, but but go on, guys, let's 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 wrap this up to a degree with a final guess. Tell us one thing. Let's go to you, Leeson. First of all, one thing that you think is going to happen in the Angels of Manhattan next week. One thing I think the Doctor will say, "Run." All right. <laughs> I think I think it's I think it's Rory that will die uh, definitively, uh, and uh, I suspect Amy won't. Even though the Doctor said, no, Brian, not them, never them. Even though the Doctor says, no, Brian, not them. Because the Doctor lies. Because the Doctor lies and, and the moth has assured us. And, and I have great faith in the moth. Please don't let me down, Mr. Moth. <laughs> Tom, same question to you. Um, at some point in the episode, someone will refer to the Statue of Liberty as if it is an angel. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it'll be disappointing if they don't really, won't it? But uh, yeah, I'm just hoping it'll be done in a convincing way, not a kind of marshmallow man, <laughs> you know, parody oh, or something. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If the Statue of Liberty goes stomping through New York, I, I, you know, a bit like a rather large cyber king, I'll, I'll not be impressed. But <laughs> but like you, Leeson, I have faith. I have faith. <laughs> we, we, we seem to refer to the moth as this, as he's our deity, isn't he? We, we really do worship at the altar of the moth. <laughs> he is basically. He's God. <laughs> It's worrying. Well, the only other thing it remains for us to say before we do sign off for this episode is, hello, it appears there may be more of you than we had previously realised. So, hello, thank you for joining us to all of the new listeners who have come on board since the beginning of Season 7. It's wonderful to have you here. Uh, But we have a special request to ask you. James, would you like to elaborate? I can certainly try, yes. Traditionally, when we open any episode of the Doctor Who podcast, you hear one of our very old colleagues, a guy called Marty, say this. This is the Doctor Who podcast, and you are most welcome. Thank you, Leeson, doing an impression of Marty. I thought we were actually going to play (laughs) Marty's piece again, but that works nicely. What we would like to do, and what we've done in the past, is actually got our listeners to say that, but add a little bit to start with, so they identify themselves and whereabouts in the world they're based. So, what we're looking for, listeners, is something like this. Tom. Hello, my name's Tom, I'm in the UK, you're listening to the Doctor Who podcast, and you are most welcome. And there you go, you see, however you can twist the intonation, or make it more interesting than just as if you're reading it off a page, it's got much more likelihood of making it onto the show then. So if you can record that, any audio format is is fine. Uh, we've said before, Trev is a bit of a genius in converting pretty much any audio format that exists into something that we can use and send it to feedback at the com and take a listen to our future episodes and you might hear yourself open the show. Okay, well, it's the end of the preview. We've got the... Can we say this is the season finale? It's not really. It's the um, sort of mid-season finale, isn't it? Yeah, but everyone's treating it as if it is a finale. And I, it feels to me as if it's a finale. I mean, 
Doctor Who's been over so quick. It's uh, I've seen five episodes in the month of September, and then it's gone. Well, do you know? It, it, I, was, I was talking to someone in this about, about this yesterday night, actually, and it, 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 you know, they were saying that oh, we we I used to like watching a, a four part series, a, a four part story, but to be honest with you, this is like a this is a five part story with you know with lots with the individual episodes being properly self contained. I'm really I'm really enjoying the way Doctor Who is told at the moment. I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's just not enough. I mean, if you look at Children of Earth from Torchwood, the, that was longer than these five episodes so um i i just i'd like a little bit more but then again what doctor who fan really doesn't yeah that makes sense to me i'm enjoying the quality uh but yeah i'd, I'd like more quantity yeah yeah and that, but that's got to be a good thing that's got to be a good thing you should always leave them wanting more well it's going to be a long old wait after christmas certainly i think because i don't think we're going to get anything new soon after christmas i think it's going to be at least late summer before we get what i suppose will be Episode 6 for Season 7. Silence will fall. So join us next time. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Where we'll be uh, discovering how wrong we are about all our theories postulated in this episode. Exactly so. Perfect. All right, take it easy. See you soon. Bye for now, everybody. Cheerio. That was the Doctor Who podcast which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care. In this episode of the Doctor Who podcast, we'll be talking about a preview of Angels Take Manhattan. Hmm. No, that's not going to work. Hang on. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> I'm beginning to regret uh, putting my hand up for the edit on this one. Have you recovered from not being able to join Trev, Tom, and. Say that again. Have you recovered yet from not being able to join Trev, Tom and Marish Love? <laughs> this is going to be a great start. Have you have you recovered yet from not being able to join yes, Trev, I have. Tom and Michelle? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>